Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Everybody, welcome back to another episode. I am excited about this one, but really, when am I not excited for these episodes? I really only have stellar guests on this show, let's be honest. Um, today's episode is with Steph Gaudreau. Um, she, I have known about her for quite some time, as I've talked about on the podcast before. Um, I've had a pretty complex long, lifelong journey with health and wellness. And I uh, started a paleo diet about, oh man, probably over 10 years ago at this point. It was way before it was cool. And when there was like nobody really talking about it publicly. Um, anyway, Steph had a website called Stupid Easy Paleo and she was sort of one of the first bloggers in the space. Um, and so I've been following her from way back when. And uh, we both, I think, as many people in the world of any sort of diet or health or wellness or, nu- or nutrition, has had a really long, complex journey with um, with all of that, their relationship to food, their relationship to movement, to wellness. Um, I certainly have. Uh, we both talk a lot, probably the bulk of the episode, about our own personal journeys through all of these different issues on the show today. Um I think it's really important, especially for people who are kind of like quote unquote influencers or coaches in the wellness space to talk pretty openly about like how maybe they were wrong at a time or uh, talk about what they've learned or how they've changed or grown or evolved. And um, it's it's hard, I think, to be a public figure in any sense, because I think people are often inclined to act as if they have all the answers. Like, why is someone going to listen to me unless I um, am an expert on this? Why is anyone going to listen to me unless, you know, I have some secret knowledge that other people don't know? Um, And I feel like the people that I respect the most, and I think the people that are doing the most responsible, noble work in any space as a public figure are people who are like, hey, this is what I know now. Um... I used to feel something before and now it's different. And in the future, I might change my mind again. You know, I think it's one of the greatest signs of strength and wisdom when you admit that you were wrong about a thing. Um, And I think a lot of the show has a lot of those themes, right? We've talked, I've talked to people who were Mormons who realized like, holy shit, that's not right. And (laughs) that's not who I really am. 
Um, we've had conversations about gender and sexuality around people that thought they were one way and then changed their mind and are continuing to change their mind. So that's what I love to feature on the show. And I think this conversation with Steph is no different. Um, I did do an episode with Steph, another Steph, Dodier. I forget what it was. It was early on, maybe eight. I could be making that up. Um, but I think it was called something like getting to the root of food and health issues. Um, that was another really amazing conversation. If you are interested in sort of the health and wellness um, episodes on this show and haven't listened to that one, I highly recommend it. We talked about um, a lot of the a lot of similar issues that I talked to Steph about today, this Steph so many stuffs. Um, I am not going to blabber on that much this time, although I do have to say last week, when was that? A little over a week ago. Um, when I posted the episode with Jason Hawley, I recorded a really long intro, which I haven't done in a long time. It was totally unplanned, unscripted. I didn't know I was going to say any of what I said, um, but I got a lot of really awesome feedback about it, which I appreciate. I really love when you guys reach out and tell me that stuff and let me know that my like long half hour intros aren't annoying, but actually really helpful. Um, so hopefully I'll do more of those today. Unfortunately, is not one of those days. We are back on the road. Uh, we're in LA for a little while and now back in Colorado, we've been in Crestone for the past week. I have completely lost track of time. Um, Crestone is fucking amazing for anyone that hasn't been here. Um, it's uh, definitely an undiscovered gem. Um, probably going to be spending a lot more time here in the future. More news on that to come at some point down the line. But finally leaving Crestone, going to head out to the San Juans, and then going home uh, through Utah and Arizona, I believe. Um, and then I'll be home back in LA. It's funny to say home. I haven't been in LA long term in five months. So I don't know. Home is definitely a concept that has evolved and changed and continues to in my life and always has, really. I move a lot. Um, we should talk about that sometime. But today is not that day because we're running late and we have to head out. Um, so yeah, I will be back in LA for October and November maybe a little bit of December, and then probably headed out uh, traveling for a bit more, because that's how I do. Um, one other piece of housekeeping, I will probably be doing a solo episode for the next episode that comes out. Um, as I've said before, if you guys have any questions or topics you'd like to me to elaborate on, things that you're struggling with in your life that you would like my opinion about, um, which is bizarre that like people want my opinion about things, but people email me about that stuff all the time. Um, so I have a bunch of questions that have come in previously. Some people have reached out to me with just personal questions that I'll keep them anonymous. All these questions will be anonymous, but I'd like to address it for the group, the audience, you guys. Um, but if you guys have any other questions, always feel free to email me. You can reach me at anyacates at gmail.com. And um, I have an a running list of questions and topics to discuss on solo shows. Um, 
Lastly, if you would like to just support the show and you have a few extra bucks, you can head over to patreon.com slash Anya Cates, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S. Or if you don't have any money, that's totally cool. The most valuable thing you could do, honestly, is um, share the podcast with someone you know that you think would enjoy it. Share an episode with them. Send them the entire podcast. Um, and lastly, if you have your phone in your hand or accessible right now, you can go into your iTunes app if you happen to be listening to it on iTunes and just click five stars. Um, those ratings and the reviews, you can leave a review as well. You can hit subscribe. Um, and that helps the podcast show up for more people. Um, as I've said many times, my biggest priority here and goal is just to reach as many people as possible. Um, one day I'll probably be really poor uh, and need money. But at the moment, I'm doing okay. Um, and I really just want to share these episodes and the people that I talk to with as many people as I possibly can. So that's what you can do to support the show. And I will... Um, I really appreciate it. I always do. Uh, enjoy today's episode, and I will catch you on the other side. All right. Hey, Steph. Hey. How are you? You just had a book come out. I'm in the post-book uh, cave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sort of hiding out from the world, but uh, realizing that fall is here soon, and I need to sort of get my shit together, so... <laughs> how long can one stay in the book cave <laughs> well there was like a pre-book cave and a post-book cave too so I really well I'm sure we'll touch on this on the show but there's been a lot of stuff changing not only in my business but in my mind and so part of my reluctance to just full steam ahead with a lot of stuff was thinking about what I want to do and all the questions that I have. So it was sort of self-imposed because um, I didn't want to jump into creation mode and make a bunch of stuff that later on I would not feel great about sharing with the world. So, hmm. yeah. And how many, is this your third book? Second book? Third. It is my, it's my third book, but my second print book. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was a long gap too, between the second book and the third book was a four year break. Which is typical, I mean, I don't think there's any one typical scenario in the book world, but I know that a lot of people really like to just get the momentum of, you know, ride that wave of one book into another. And I just thought, okay, this is horrible. It's so hard. And it's, you know, at the end, you do get something that hopefully you're really proud of, but also going through the process is really stressful. So I just decided to take a break and a lot changed in my business. And so I'm glad that I did take four years off. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Can you talk a little bit about this book and I guess also the book itself, but kind of like your processing, uh, your process and deciding to create it? Yeah. So in 2015, I created a program that had a different name at the time. And it was really, you know, looking at the community that I was working with and the fact that so many people were like, okay, I was just told that if I got my nutrition dialed in, everything would magically get better. And, oh, wait, it still isn't. What else is there? And initially it started with fitness, nutrition, mindset. And now it's expanded a little bit. I had to talk about energy and stuff like that as well. But 
it was really born out of that desire to help people in a more holistic way. And I know that that word holistic has a lot of different connotations and some people hear the word holistic and they're like, oh, it's a bunch of bullshit. And then other people hear it and think, okay, it means that we need to look at the whole person. We need to look at all these different factors. It's not just about the food that we eat. Although lots of people would convince you that that's the case. If you just ate perfectly, like your life would be great. So I launched that program in 2015 and the cookbook came out in early 2015. And then I kind of just sat on this idea in this program and ran the program with groups of people online. And I started talking to my agent, my literary agent, I think it was 2016. So maybe the following year, because I really started to see the the things that people were experiencing. And it was never like, I lost 20 pounds in 30 days or things like that. It was like really, if, if I could take a look at the transformations that people had, it was really a broad swath of transformations. I mean, some people were switching jobs. Some people were standing up for themselves in different areas of their life, setting boundaries. I mean, yeah, getting, getting more movement into their life, things like that. But it was never about just, we're going to help you get skinny and lose weight. So I pitched this idea for the book to my agent back in 2016. And they were like, I don't know. <laughs> I think a stupid easy paleo book would do really well. And in my heart, I kind of, I, I really did feel my heart kind of sink because I was going through this weird transition where around that time I launched a second website and I was trying to move away from just that space of the paleo world. And I ran that experiment for like a year. I, I ran another website in parallel and had like two sets of social media and just thought, I'm going to go insane if I keep doing this. I can't do both. Where does this content live? Where does that content live? Why are you know, people are confused as to where to go? And so I just scrapped it and went back to Stupid Easy Paleo. So like all of this was happening all at the same time. And it wasn't until early 2018 that I really said you know, that's it. I'm rebranding. I'm changing everything, which if you look into the online world, a lot of people would say that's suicide. That's really a terrible idea. And you should, you know, keep the other property, keep the other domain, run the other thing. And I was like, I can't do it. It's just not, it's not me. It's not true to who I want to be and who I am. So, <laughs> so around that time, um, and, and sort of prior to really deciding that I was going to change everything and rebrand, that six months prior to that, I decided to kind of put the pause on um, working with my agents. And then I came back around to them and said, well, you know, here's the book I really want to do. What do you think? And I pitched them the same idea again. They were like, yeah, cool. We're into it. And I think at that point, the writing was really on the wall. So this is like mid 2017. I think the writing was really on the wall that, you know, paleo as a movement had really lost its original sort of intentions and had been co-opted in a lot of ways. And also there, you know, I think it's more being talked about now, but for a lot of folks, it really, you know, even though the intentions I think were really good, right. You have intentions and impact. And I, 
my teacher, Dr. T. Williams talks a lot about this, like intentions versus impact. Like I think that the intentions were very good and the intentions were very pure and in sort of like the community and the movement. And yet the impact for a lot of people was continued confusion around food, um, you know, disordered eating around food. Like it, it, it did have that impact on a lot of people, right? Orthorexia and, and going down sort of that conversation. So I don't know, like a lot, a lot had changed. And so anyway, that's how I ended up with this particular book. And, and a lot's changed over the years in the program. It's a, it's a living, breathing kind of entity. And I always am in there tweaking it and just recently was in and sweeping through some stuff on my sales pages and was like, oh, here's this place where I was talking about getting leaner. Okay, I'm going to take that out. And and I think, you know, as you grow and change, there's always going to be stuff that's always growing and changing along with you. But for me, it was never a question of do I just try to keep holding on? Because I wear my emotion. I'm very, you know, like emotionally... um clear with people. Like I try to just really wear my emotions on my sleeve. Like I it's just part of who I am. And I just couldn't, I think everybody was like, you're totally faking this, you know, you're not, your heart's not in it. And so anyway, I rebranded last year and the book is a part of that rebrand. But even with that being said, I continue to kind of be drifting and, and feeling very called to serve in this other this other capacity, which is more along the intuitive eating side of things. So I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. I've got a lot of ideas and I don't know how it's going to play out, which is really scary and exciting, but (laughs) also really scary. Yeah. It's I, when you were talking about rebranding, I was thinking that it's like kind of almost a, and the sort of hesitation uh, and reluctance on the part of agents or the public, but it's like, rebranding I think in many ways when it's reflected in the public realm is just like ourselves evolving Mm -hmm. and there's this sort of push to like not do that like you said this thing at this one time why isn't that still the thing um Mm -hmm. yeah I definitely experienced that when I went through a transition to it like but I felt like my if my public persona kept being and for like farther and farther away from my true self, like it just felt dirtier and dirtier mm-hmm. and grosser and grosser. Yeah. Um, I, I was telling this story the other day to somebody to make this point. It was a slightly different context, but I think it, it remains relevant. And so the story is, so my car is 15 years old. And at the time when I bought my car, I was heavily into downhill mountain biking like, you know, pulling on, put on the full pads, full face helmet, take a chairlift, get on a giant bike with lots of suspension and just ride down as fast as you can. And, uh, and that was, you know, I was 25 at that time. I'm 40 now. However, I still have my car and because I still own it, I still have my vanity license plate that refers to, you know, lift downhill. And, and so occasionally people will ask me, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, in my previous life, I was a downhill mountain biker. And I think that that just is a reminder to me of how I feel like I've lived eight lives since then. And so I'm always reminded that it's okay to change, even though there are those reminders of the things that you used to really, you know, they were your thing. That was really what you were into. That's really what you did think was your your truth or you being true to who you are. So 
Yeah. <laughs> I think we all have those remnants somewhere. For sure. And did you, cause I feel like you were definitely one of the sort of not founders per se, but like you were there on the forefront. Like I started eating a paleo diet like way before it was cool when basically like Mark Sisson was talking about it. Mm-hmm. And then it became this huge thing. And I felt like I like got on the ground floor and I feel like it was you and like a few other people who were there, at least in the public space, kind of like the bloggers and the cookbook writers. Do you feel like not only was it a transition that you were going through for yourself, but also because you had this following and this public voice that like whatever choices you made were also like you were somewhat responsible for the parallel movement that was going on. You know, I don't think I ever felt quite like that. However, I would say that, so I started blogging in on my site in 2011, but I was, that's when Stupid Easy Paleo started and it was, you know, like a blog spot blog. Um, and it was sort of my online recipe box at the time, but I was blogging way before that. So I heard about paleo in 2009. I started blogging like 09, 08, 09. So I've been, you know, writing my thoughts on the internet for probably about 10 years and it became slowly over time, right? It was, it was sort of that thing of putting my own ideas out there, putting my own thoughts out there and just trying to help people. And initially it wasn't even that. It was like, I like to cook. Here's what I'm making. And you can peek into my world if you want to make these recipes. And when I first, my first write about paleo was 2009. I read Paleo Diet for Athletes by uh, Joe Friel and uh, Dr. Cordain. And I did not know Cordain's name at all. I actually knew Joe Friel's name from the endurance world. So I was like, all right, this sounds legit. And when I started, so I started eating, I think like it's January of 2010. I had my holiday, you know, whatever, like last supper eating. (laughs) And I realized that now I was like, I totally thought like it was never going to be fun again to to eat food. Um, When I started, there were literally, I think, two cookbooks. Paleo Comfort Foods by Charles and Julie Mayfield and Make It Paleo by Bill and Haley Staley. <laughs> right. So that just to give people listening who maybe were a little bit younger at the time and not quite into that yet some context, there wasn't much out there. But as I as things continued to grow, and I would say probably by about 2016, when I was starting to feel like I want to be talking about other things. I don't want to just talk about food. I'm sick of telling people why. I'm sick of arguing with people about potatoes and, you know, arguing about rules about food. Like this isn't paleo. That's paleo. Just got so tired of doing that. And, and it was my reluctance to rebrand and sort of move in this other direction was never really, I would be kind of like letting the movement down or I wouldn't be furthering that community. It was what if everybody leaves and no one comes to my website anymore. I mean, at, by that point, I had left my job. I was teaching high school science and I did that for 12 years. I left the classroom in 2013. So I was two or three years out of that. You know, I was out of the period of time where I could just go back <laughs> and they were holding my job for me. And I just thought, well, <laughs> you know, if I rebrand now, everybody's going to leave. No one's going to follow me anymore. Um, 
And what am I going to do? So it was more from a place of fear of losing people than it was a fear of disappointing maybe the larger community on a whole or the movement on, on a whole. And at the same time, you know, holding on because you're afraid of what you're going to lose isn't quite the best place energetically to be. (laughs) So that's kind of the conundrum that I found myself in. And I'll tell you what, early 20, uh, so early 2018, I said, all right, we're just blowing this up. We're going to dismantle everything and build it again and rebrand and rename. And by that, by March, so a few months later, we had our first like really big hit from Google, which was goodbye, 60% of traffic, (laughs) you know, and it was kind of, I don't know, to me, it seemed a bit symbolic because the thing I was so afraid of, of like losing traffic or, you know, always playing that game, just, I didn't have a choice by that point, right? We're all at that, at sort of the mercy of the algorithm. And yeah, we got smashed by it. And so we did, like, I had to, I had to think really creatively, how am I going to, how am I going to make money? How am I going to bring in income? Like we lost all of our ad revenue. So what are we going to do now? And (laughs) I don't know, last year was a really hard year and for a lot of different reasons. And I feel like this year continues to be really challenging for a lot of different reasons too. And part of being in the online space is having to be really adaptable but I think there's this hope that people have that it's not going to happen to them. <laughs> you know, nothing, you know, I'm not going to lose my traffic or somebody's not going to hack into my website and delete everything or, you know, I'm not going to get hit by the algorithm changes or, and the, the reality is we're all at risk for that stuff. So I don't know. It's sort of the lesson to me over the last year or so has really been to just pursue the things that I really want to do. And it doesn't mean that it's not challenging or financially scary, but hey, at least I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Because <laughs> playing the metrics game and the SEO game and oh my gosh, I mean, such a waste of energy for me. I just could care less. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you, did you get any, I mean, I'm sure you did, but like, I'm curious what the reaction was on behalf of your followers to this shift. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I think it was mixed overall, I think pretty positive, but I'll tell you, I'll tell you very transparently. So June of last year, I changed my name on Instagram and I've lost a quarter of my Instagram followers since then. So 50, 40 or 50,000 people. Were they real? Were they bots? Like, I don't know. Right. So who, who really knows, but I mean, 25% reduction is pretty, it's kind of stabilized in the last few months, but I still get caught up in that ego game where I'm like, everybody else is growing and like my account is shrinking and what the hell is going on? Um, I didn't really have anybody who was super vocal about me like abandoning paleo or, or, you know, feeling like I was betraying them at least to my, you know, to my face or to my inbox the reaction that I did hear was by and lar- large pretty positive. And I think that there were a lot of people who were really feeling the way that I was too. And so those have been the people who 
have continued to stay with me. And of course, new people are coming into the community all the time. But I think that the folks who were there from the beginning and also kind of went on this similar arc, this similar journey where it was like, it's all about the food. This is amazing. And then we're like, oh, wait, there's all this other stuff. (laughs) You can't just eat a perfect diet and think you're going to be happy. Um, So it, it was, I would say, from hearing folks, I mean, overall pretty positive and I heard from a lot of people, they were like, well, I never really followed you because you were paleo. I just liked what you had to say about things, hmm. which is kind of, you know, an interesting confirmation in in some ways. And But again, I mean, there could be people who unfollowed or had really bad vibes or whatever, but didn't really express it. But overall, I mean, there were a few people who kind of questioned, like, oh, why are you doing this? And I tried to be really transparent about the process too. Like as soon as I decided I was rebranding in January and the the rebrand wasn't complete until November. So almost a whole year I was telling, I was taking people along for the journey with me. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're doing now. Here's how this is going to change here. How this, here's how this is going to stay the same. And, and I think they really appreciated that. So it wasn't a blind side. And I think that that, you know, if anybody listening is (laughs) in a similar situation, I think that for me, that was a really, I was glad that we did it that way. And we were really upfront, really transparent, really open about the process. So it it wasn't like one day you just open your email inbox and it was like, stupid easy paleo is gone. You know, people knew that this was going to be taking place. And I think that that made them feel more invested and oddly like they had a say in the process, even though Mm. that wasn't the, you know, it wasn't like we put an open call for what do you want to see on the site? And it was nothing like that, but it was, we definitely knew there were areas we needed to improve structurally and um, just in terms of a functionality perspective, sure, that stuff, but it was really just letting people in, letting them be a part of it, letting them be a fly on the wall. And I think that was really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me, like I went through this process with my own blog, which I always think about because I think it's fascinating that I sort of got sucked into this. Like I became a holistic health coach. I was working at natural products companies and marketing, and I knew that I wanted to create a blog. And when I left my program, my initial intention was like, I want to talk about like mindset and I want to talk about things that aren't food. And like, that's what I'm really into. And I want to talk about like climbing trees. And I remember writing several like of my first blog posts that were of that realm. And then I realized like, well, how do I make money doing that? Like, how do I, I can't like have, I don't get affiliate sales of like fucking coconut oil in my muffin recipe if I'm like writing about climbing a tree and like in a, in the effort to sort of like grow my business and have a popular blog, I suddenly realized that I'd totally like gone off in this other direction. And it was like all about food and ways to make money. And I feel like a lot of people, if they're not in that world, right on, on the side of the blogger that like, there is that that they're not aware how hard it is. I mean, not only in a monetary sense, but I also felt like at at a certain point, how am I supposed, like, how am I qualified to tell people to like deal with their emotional issues Mm -hmm. and that that's really like the crux of the issue. Um, Yeah. It became like, I felt trapped in all these sort of like conflicting desires. 
Yeah, I can definitely <laughs> relate to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's so funny because in a lot of ways, you know, the like, let's take the affiliate links, for example, like, here's my link for coconut oil. Um, that's all well and good, but the vast majority of people aren't making shit off that. I mean, and, and so, but I've, I completely relate to that process too of like, I need to optimize all my blog posts. And then I realized I had lost, you know, it's, it's so fucked because I had lost kind of my personality in a lot of what I was doing. Cause I was like, well, here's the formulaic way they're supposed to write a blog post. And it became optimization of, of that stuff. But then, you know, when you don't have any, relatively speaking, any traffic going to your blog anymore, you're like, okay, well now what? Um, I can optimize it all I want, but I just don't have the volume of people. So I think, um, I think that because the online space changes so fast and I was just talking to somebody about this this morning, I was like, what, what you did three years ago is not going to work now. Mm hmm you know, and you have to be really at that bleeding edge or think about how you're going to provide other services perhaps that are not as dependent on sheer traffic numbers or pushing a a ridiculous amount of cold traffic to something and paying for that because nobody's giving you that for free. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard. I mean, being an entrepreneur in the online space, it's like, oh, and it, it's just um, soul crushing sometimes. And it is hard when you feel like you've painted yourself into that corner. You know, like, how am I going to get out of here now? I did this to myself. Um, so yeah, I definitely relate to that. Yeah. So I'd love to talk just a bit about your own personal journey, which is obviously still evolving, which Mm -hmm. is always cool to see when people aren't out there being like, here's the answers just like, here's where I'm at right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but sort of like pre, even pre-blog, like w- how did you get to this place where you were interested in food and nutrition? And I know you talk a lot about um, body image and all of that. And I, I uh, really respect a lot of what you talk about in terms of like body neutrality and not like loving your body. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know you've had a, a long journey with that and have come a long way. So I'd love to sort of hear... Um, what that has been. And I think then like reflecting on what we just talked about in terms of your career, it's like interesting to see how that's obviously like uh, paralleled in the public. Yeah. Yeah. And we were, we were talking off air about nuance and I think that, you know, I'm the, I'm the queen of like, it depends Uh, on one hand. And I always preface my conversations by saying this, like on one hand, I'm really want people to take responsibility for like, or realize that they are powerful, that they have, they can, they can take responsibility for things like they're not helpless. Caveat. <laughs> we can't always fix our own problems. Like, and I, so I'm always forever telling people, like, if you need therapy, if you need counseling, if you need a coach, like whatever it, that looks like for you, that's okay. That's not shameful. And I think, unfortunately, the wellness space has made it appear that if you do have to, seek out professional help. You do have to take a pill, whatever. Like, you know, we had this discussion going on in my group the other day about antidepressants and how people, some people legit feel really bad that they're considering taking, is they're like, I should just be able to get myself out of this. And I'm like, 
that's not always the case. So um, I just, I want people to understand and be clear that even though I am an advocate for realizing where you can be responsible, where you can you know, step into your own power, that sometimes we do need help and that that's okay. <laughs> so all that being said, um, you know, my body image stuff goes back to really when I was a kid. And a lot of this stuff I've, I've sort of figured out on my own through, I'm 40, so I've had a lot of time to think about this. Um, I've sort of thought about my upbringing. Um, I didn't have a strong father figure in my life. My grandfather was like my dad and he died when I was eight. So I'm, I'm pretty sure that I've got still some unresolved childhood trauma from, from that. Um, and I was a really perfectionistic kid. I did get bullied a lot. I had a, an adult family member who made a lot of comments about my weight, had an experience at the pediatrician, you know, where the doctor said something along the lines of, you know, like I was too heavy, I needed to lose weight. And I just remember feeling so shameful. I, I, I can't, I just can't forget that. I remember what that felt like. And so I think, you know, we're all, and again, here's the nuance, like realistically speaking, if we take everything into consideration, I'm not somebody in a larger body. I don't know what it's like to have the amount of weight stigma that some other people will have because of the size body that they're in. I do have thin privilege, right? I can walk into a store and find clothes that fit me. I don't have to worry about buying an extra seat if I'm going on an airplane. Like, I don't have to think about that stuff. However, um, I think there are a lot of people like me who have still experienced an enormous amount of body image issues and that pressure to be perfect and that pressure to fit a certain mold. And so, right, these things are really complex because there's a whole other level of weight stigma, fat phobia, fat shaming, how that plays into the medical system, BMI. Like <laughs> we could go down a whole like rabbit hole with, with all of that. Yet there are women like me who have really suffered because of what we've experienced in our own way. So I don't want anybody to feel like, and I, I see this conversation happening sometimes like, I, I can't know the level of what it's like to be in a body where I'm constantly ostracized by everybody, you know, where like somebody who has a body type like mine is always the prat, they always take the pratfalls in movies, they're always the butt of jokes, like they're always the funny friend. Like I can't, I don't know what that's like. Um, and so this is where these conversations get really nuanced, right? Or like really muddy. Um, but it was something that affected me for decades. And I recently told the story because I hadn't, I realized I hadn't ever told anybody this, that when I was in my early twenties, my in-laws at the time went to Weight Watchers and I didn't ever go to meetings. Like I wasn't officially ever signed up, but I did get my own points tracker and I was, you know, on the diet. I was on the diet. I had tried dieting before. Um, my grandmother was on Weight Watchers you know, like it was part of the conversation. And at one point I, you know, tried to make myself sick because of what I was eating. And I just, I, 
it didn't, it didn't stick with me as something I could do. And I realized looking back at that, how, I mean, my eating was very disordered, but I realized how close I really came to eat, to having an eating disorder. And that really, really scares me because of the number of people who go through that. And it also makes me really angry. And it also makes my heart really hurt for people who are going through that right now. And so a lot of my work, I feel like going forward. And so one of the things that I really am interested in is bridging this gap between nutrition and intuitive eating. And, you know, there are a lot of ways in which these two camps fight with each other, you know, constantly trying to debunk each other or why, you know, saying, oh, intuitive eating has no nutrition principles in it, which is not true. Um, that's the 10th principle of intuitive eating is to honor your health with gentle nutrition. And, um, and yeah, like so many people like myself, I realized how lost I was when it came to food. And even when I, you know, kind of came into paleo, was that a stepping stone for me? Yes. Because I stopped for the most part weighing, measuring, counting my food. I was eating fat. You know, I was the person who would surgically cut off any little bit of fat from a chicken breast or a pork chop or throw out the egg yolks. Right. So at least I was eating fat for the first time in forever. And I was learning to, yes, I have always loved to cook, but I was learning how to, to make different recipes. I was putting more focus on nutrient density. However, there was still a lot of, I, you know, part of my brain that really latched onto the rules. And I remember I signed up for a CSA box here in San Diego and I had to go pick it up from the gym. And the box came, this was maybe 2012, the box came and I remember opening it up in the gym and there was a watermelon inside. And I said, I can't eat this. It has too many carbs. And so I gave it away to some, I was like, who wants a watermelon? You know, did one of those and gave it away. And I just realized how I had carried, you know, I carried a lot of disordered eating into paleo, especially at the beginning. And it's taken me a long time to, you know, get to, I remember last year, I think I made a recipe for hummus and put it on the blog. And I was like, oh, here we go. We're going to hear from everybody about why hummus is trying to kill you. And um, (laughs) even something like that, um, even making sourdough bread, I mean, things like that I've, that I've been doing in the last year or two. And it's, you know, five, five or 10 years ago, would I have done that? Probably not. So I really did take the rigidity of the way I was eating and just kind of insert it into a different set of foods and really had to learn over time where I had wiggle room and is this all about the food? No. What else is there? I mean, I think we overblow. See, here's the thing. I think because food is so tangible, eating is something we all have to do. It's kind of that natural starting point for people, but also because of diet culture, 
I think it's one of the most messed up things that we have to navigate. So it's, it's taken a long time to tease all that apart. And, and I just really, um, I've read through some really interesting research in the last few months. So I became a certified intuitive eating counselor and I was really looking at things like body image. And I looked at some of the research about, you know, we tend to think of this as something that younger women, girls, teens really struggle with. Um, and I think, again, there's still this perception that, you know, eating disorders don't happen to men. It, they do. And they're, it, this is on the rise. Um, you know, or that kids are free from this. Well, we look at how much dieting is now pushed on children. And we know that the more uh, impressionable somebody is with this stuff, the greater risk that they're at for develop, developing eating disorders later in life, which some people die from. And I, you know, I always try to make that point, like people die from this. It's not this. We're not just saying like, oh, we're trying to be politically correct and or, oh, you're too politically correct. I hear that sometimes. Like when I talk about diet culture, people are like, oh, this is so PC. And I'm like, really? Because people die from this. Is that not a problem for you? And there's quite usually not an answer to that. But anyway, the research that I was reading was how women in their 50s, 60s and 70s continue to struggle with body image and it just makes me really mad slash sad <laughs> and and that's kind of my like empathic nature but it it makes me really upset that somebody may have lived their entire life in this mindset of I'm not good enough because of my body you know being very self-conscious and you know not blaming the person but like what constructs, like what societal constructs do we have that keep this in place? And I just, it makes me furious that we have women and men getting to the end of their lives. And the only thing they've been able to think about has been how perfect their or not their body is. I mean, what a fucking waste. Like what a waste of human potential. What a waste of a person's worth and goodness and value. And it, it, yeah, it, it just is so maddening. And, and so that's one of the reasons why I, I really want to talk about this stuff with my community. And it's so hard. It's, we were talking about how hard it is to have these nuanced conversations because social media, right? Is a, we're swiping, we're scrolling. It goes by in half a second. We want instant, you know, information, instant gratification of that information, and I posted something last week. It was a myth um, about intuitive eating. And I, it, I just said what it was, which was um, that there is no nutrition. There are no nutrition principles in intuitive eating. And it took me, even though I was trying to be brief, it took me like multiple paragraphs to even tease this apart. You know, and I just thought this is, you know, it's not. So in the example of intuitive eating, it's not necessarily one of those things you can just read a bunch of information and go, I know what this is now. It really does take that work and that being in the work and having the conversations or, you know, doing whatever the work looks like and, and for you to get it. And, and yet in the wellness community, there's such a big subset of people who are like, 
intuitive eating is bullshit. People can't be trusted to have to, you know, eat the foods that are, people can't be trusted, period, is kind of what the conversation is. People can't be trusted. Like they don't know what's, they don't know how to stop themselves. It, you know, it's going to make uh, this epidemic of, um, you know, overweight and obesity worse. And, and they're missing, they're missing so much that's there. They're missing so much of that conversation. Um, and looking at it from a really one-sided point of view, but if somebody doesn't want to engage in that conversation, I'm like, I, I mean, if your mind is closed and you don't think that this is, you know, years and years of yo-yo dieting is harmful to people and you think that's totally fine and somebody being a slave to their online tracker and the fact that they have social anxiety when they go out to eat to the point that they don't go out to eat <laughs> or, you know, like, do, you, do we think these things are healthy for people? No, but if somebody's unwilling to have that conversation, then I'm like, what, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try to con convince you of other, of something otherwise. So it's hard, but anyway, that's sort of what I feel really, um, really called to talk about. And again, to try to bridge that gap, because I do love nutrition and I do love to help people with that stuff, but there's a lot of healing that needs to happen for a lot of people before we get yeah. into that. And sometimes it's <laughs> not about, it's not about the food at all. Um, it is about the, the unresolved past trauma. It is about the emotional mental health. It is about relationships and boundaries and all the other stuff that feeds into that, the amount of stress that people are under. Um, so yeah, it's not always just an easy fix. Yeah. And there's a million thoughts. Um, but I think one of them you just touched on was like, it's really hard to, because everyone's at a different stage in the process. Like if someone had told me, like my thing was more about like these health issues, less, uh, less so than body image. So like I had all these physical ailments all the time that I was trying to fix with food, which became obsessive and counterproductive. And I think eventually became actually harmful. Um, but like, I don't think intuitive eating would have worked for me 10 years ago when I went on a paleo diet because I had no consciousness of this at all. And I think this also plays into the intention thing because <clears throat> in the, like everything looks different. <laughs> like our, I'm, everything looks the same, but the intention is different. So like I can take supplements coming from a positive intention of like my body, like deserves these great things, or I can take them because I feel like my body's broken or like I can eat a slice of pizza because I don't love myself or I can eat a slice of pizza because I fucking love myself and pizza's really good, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and I had this like, aha moment. Oh, it, wasn't really, it was, it was a, it was a gradual aha, but it culminated in, this was like late last around the time I started my podcast, actually my health issues came to like the craziest worst head ever. Um, and I was also going through like severe personal issues, like getting divorced and moving out of my house and like having a crisis with a parent and, um, my health issues went crazy. And so I went on all these protocols and I started to realize that like, I was, I was good for like a month and then I'd like have an argument with someone and it was really bad, but I didn't change anything in regard to like the supplements I was taking or the diet I was on. And then I recently like 
things got okay to the point where the issues were like moderate. And I said to myself, like, I don't feel like any of this stuff is doing anything. I feel like this is all a reflection of my emotional well-being. So what if I just, as an experiment, stopped everything? Like I'm taking zero supplements. I have no dietary restrictions and I never had anything that was like acute or like an autoimmune condition. So like, what if I just like eat gluten and dairy (laughs) and ice cream and sugar, like in a way that feels like I can, and I'm not going to die. And I go off all my supplements. Like I'd rather eat what I want and have moderate health issues than like be miserable and have moderate health issues. And I fucking got better. And like, I had a feeling that might happen, but it certainly reinforced what I had thought was the case for so long. And yet it's hard to talk about that or tell that story because if someone hasn't gone through the process of figuring out where the root of the issue is, then just like eating a bunch of ice cream is also not going to solve the problem. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I think... Mm-hmm. And I love how you said, you know, it's sort of the intention, right? Like I could allow myself to eat the foods that I want from a place of self-experimentation, of trying to let go of strict diet rules, right? Of reducing that amount of stress and anxiety in my life, or I could turn to things, um, from out of control eating, you know, like it, it's, and I'm not saying that there either one is good or bad. And I think that we have unfortunately in this space made things very moral, even though it's not necessarily, even if it's not like that's a good food, that's a bad food. We've made the pursuit of health to be very morally good. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you're not doing these things, then you're, you're morally bad. Or if you are doing these things, you're better than someone who is not. And again, this is where people get a little bit riled up because they think, well, it's the person's, you know, it's, it, they're, you know, they're not doing what's right for them and they're ignoring their health. And I'm like, y'all, some people don't have the capacity to do this stuff right now or, Culturally, yeah. culturally, it doesn't make sense to them or they don't have the access to be able to do it, right? And there's just a huge part of the conversation that's not being had because ultimately it does come down to really uncomfortable things for people like discussions of privilege. Like we can't even have a discussion about privilege without people flying off the handle and understanding what that means, right? It doesn't mean you don't have adversity in your life or you've never had to work through setbacks or, you know, it's like we, we can't even have a conversation about what the thing is. Never mind understanding how that influences people's ability to just be able to go do a thing. Just join the gym. It's not that simple for a lot of people. Just eat all organic. Again, not that simple for a lot of people. Right. And so, yeah, it's, um, it's a much more complex conversation. And I spent, honestly spend most of my time now asking questions because I'm, I'm at that stage where I think I, I don't have the answers. I don't know how to fix it. 
I don't think I can fix it myself. You know, like I have to decide where I'm going to put my energy into having these discussions and conversations, but am I okay with showing up and having the questions or having the conversation or asking the questions? So that's kind of the stage that I'm at, but I sometimes I'm like, wow, we're in a really big pickle here. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and I just see a little bit too much of people going down the rabbit hole. And again, I don't like, yes, ask, ask the questions, do the research about the supplements, blah, 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 all that stuff. And in some cases they might help, but I see so much focus on and worrying about the things that like, which collagen is the right collagen that I should get? You know, is it okay if it doesn't have all five kinds? And I'm like, you're fucking missing the point. Like, you're like, why are you stressing yourself out about this? Um, and not everybody's a professional biohacker. Like, I want to know like what we're hacking. I, I I take such like to uh, to like, so here's, here's the, here's the one that, that riles me up personally is the, um, fasting for longevity folks. Um, again, some modicum of like, okay, if we, you know, have a little bit of a break between dinner and breakfast, like probably a good idea for a good majority of people also doesn't work for everybody for so many different reasons. Um, but I see this like taken to the extreme and I see it causing people more stress on their bodies or on their minds. And they're like, Oh my God, if I drink a coffee, is that going to break my fast? And so the goal is what's the goal? Longevity. Okay. So you're to have longevity without quality of life to me, it doesn't seem very, you know, very much worth it. Um, and we're all going to die. Like I, somebody said that to me once on my website, they were like, what's the point? We're all going to die in the comments. And I was like, yeah, we are. Right. I mean, I would like to, you know, eat the foods and do the things that help me feel good today. Right. Just like, I feel good in my body. I can do the things I want to do. End of story. Um, but it's a good question. It's like, what's, I mean, what are we I, I don't know. I think there is this, like, we're going to live forever. Um, <laughs> but living is not just, you know, this is just a long a extension of life by years. What's the quality of that living going to be? You know, are you able to enjoy your life now? Or are you just banking on that in the future? I don't know. It's a, <laughs> It drives me a little bit crazy sometimes. Again, it's where the people get stressed about the thing. And so every day they're stressed about the thing that's supposedly supposed to be a health benefit to them. And I'm like, what are we doing? Right. <clears throat> Which is like a net loss. Yeah. And if you think about this also cross-culturally, like we've never, like what, we can't figure out why like people in Spain are drinking a bunch of wine or like in France, they're eating a bunch of cheese and like, yeah, well, they're like taking naps and enjoying their life and not being overworked and not stressed about food. So what aspect of this is like, just enjoy yourself. And I think it also like thinking about this, I've never thought about this before, but you know, how intuitive eating 
is just an extension of intuition, right? Like it's one aspect of intuition. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something, I mean, forget intuitive eating. Like I just think in our culture specifically, we have lost touch with intuition in general. We don't know what the fuck. I used to say that all the time. I didn't know what I was saying, but I was like, I don't know what I think or what they think or what that person's opinion is or my opinion. Like I have no fucking clue. I don't trust myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was definitely a result of, you know, how I was raised personally and collectively. Um, and it's like in this process for me of moving through all of this, like what I intuitively know is that I need to stop punishing myself. And so at the moment that looks like eating what I want, but I also can feel, and I'm starting to be in the place of like, okay, and now I can sort of like circle back around to like eating and and I don't eat crap all the time, but like circle back around to like, what would I want to do for, you know, uh, like moving my body? Like, what does that intuitively feel like for me? You know, and, and with eating and with anything else, friendships, relationships, et cetera. Um, and I think so much of these like diets and regimens and programs and like, they're all distractions from intuition. They're, they're like easy shortcuts, uh, to avoid that, which I think is the hardest part and which requires the process of like understanding where your patterning and thoughts are coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's definitely an aspect of, you know, just to use the intuitive eating example, again, it's not that it doesn't, you know, the intuitive eating as a system, as a process, as a framework doesn't say, fuck nutrition, like eat, literally eat donuts all day, every single day, um, no matter what your body tells you, because that actually is, you know, and let's just use the extension of, of binge eating or out of control eating binge. That would be binge eating or out of control eating, right? It's like, just, I'm going to sit down and like eat 10 to a dozen donuts and, you know, keep going and keep going and keep going. And people think that's what intuitive eating is. It's actually completely the opposite to what intuitive eating is trying to get you to do, which is pay attention to what's going on in your body, eat a donut, check in, go, I feel pretty good right now. Eat, maybe you decide to eat another donut and you're like, you know what? Yeah. Now my gut kind of hurts. I'm over it. It doesn't taste as good. So <laughs> there is a process of, of, of unhooking from nutrition rules and guidelines for that reason is to say, you know, the best, and I think the quote is something like, you know, even the best nutrition guidelines can be embraced like a diet. So typically when people start intuitive eating, it's not recommended that they begin to add back nutrition rules. Obviously, you know, allergies, legit allergies and stuff like that aside, if you have, if you are, if you have celiac disease, intuitive eating does not say, go gluing yourself. Like, yeah, cool. Like, no, we know like that needs to be respected, but it's typically not the first thing somebody would introduce. And I think that that is true across a lot of different things, whether, you know, even fitness or, or movement, you know, is there anything wrong with being on an, uh, some kind of a fitness program? No, I don't think there is inherently, but if you are like the program says I'm supposed to be here today and I'm supposed to work out at X, Y, Z intensity and your body is screaming at you and is like, no, <laughs> you know, your joints hurt. Like 
uh, you have DOMS, which is delayed onset muscle soreness. The number of times I see this drives me nuts as well. People say, I have really bad muscle soreness. And I always, um, my friend Claudette calls it the toilet trust fall. So it's like where you have to just like catch yourself. You can't actually lower yourself eccentrically under your own weight because your muscles are so inflamed and, and damaged from whatever you did to them. The number of people that I hear, they're like, just stretch. And I'm like, no, like why? That's not going to help. Um, and, and so I think that we do get very rigid. Yes, guidance can be helpful, except when it's not. And it's taken as law or it's taken as dogma or it's taken as doctrine. And we divorce ourselves from the process of letting ourselves be a part of the process. Because we, we don't trust ourselves. We don't believe that we can have, we can know our bodies. We've been always told that we need to outsource this stuff. Um, that we can never trust ourselves at all that someone else is always the authority someone else is always the expert and i i just think that part of it and it's sort of like breeding really compliant people is you know don't ask any questions like you don't know what's best for you just go along with the program it's that's all you need and again i mean i think, I think the best tools are helpful when they're used for what they're intended to do, but they can also be used for things that they were never intended for. So user application does become important. And part of that is knowing how your body feels, knowing how your, what emotions you're feeling, where do those emotions show up in your body? You know, what's that connection? And yet that's not oftentimes what we are, we gravitate to. We're just like, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Because we're overwhelmed and overworked and overstressed. And so I think it's worth considering, you know, if I'm not at all in touch with what's going on in my body, what might that be like? You know, how is it, how is it showing up in my life to not be in touch? And so the example I was going to use was tracking food. Um, for some people, for a short period of time, writing down what they're eating can be massively insightful. So they don't have that awareness yet, right? However, <laughs> for a lot of people, that long-term use of tracking and having external metrics and goals that they need to reach, whether it's caloric intake, macronutrient breakdown, whatever, becomes yet another means to not pay attention and listen to their bodies. So it's the application, it's the selecting the correct tool, it's understanding that all of those tools have their limits and that you're the expert of you. That doesn't mean you can always solve all of your problems. Like if your thyroid's not working properly, then you may need to go see somebody about that. Like I'm not saying you can always self-treat, but... Um, we're just constantly the message is being reinforced so that we, we can't be trusted. We don't know anything about, and I, I'm always asking people, I'm like, how does it feel in your body? I don't know how it feels in your body. Like, should I exercise today? I don't know. How does your body feel? Well, I don't know. Well, I don't know either. <laughs> I'm not in your body. I don't know how you feel. So, Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think too, I, I remember like when I first got into paleo and 
then had a blog about it. And like, I was really inclined to believe that like, that was the way to do things like across the board for every body type, every age, like, no, like this is the way. Um, and then it's been interesting to sort of like tear myself apart from that and recognize that like, we are all different. Um, I'm curious if you've had that evolution as well, like coming from the paleo space, which I think was pretty fundamentalist in many ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Very, very much so. Especially in the earlier years of doing it, I would say in the first two to three years, perhaps it was very like, this is the best way. This is the only way. This is the way everybody should do it. And I probably came across as being kind of obstinate about it. Um, and, you know, taking myself through the nutritional therapy program was really, you know, pretty eye-opening. Not eye-opening because, again, I had been sort of doing this for for several years. But just thinking, okay, we it's okay to put bio-individuality above you know, one right way of doing things for all these different reasons. And also even just comes down to things like taste preference and availability of food, um, depending on where you live or what your budget is, or, you know, there's, there's so much that goes into it. And so, yeah, I'm sure that at times, if I were to go further back on the blog, <laughs> I would probably cringe of like things that I said because you know when you have that experience for you and it happens to be the thing that you're doing that really makes you feel different and feel better in your body, it's easy to draw that conclusion that if it works for me, it's going to work for everybody and um it's the one way that people should do stuff. So yeah, it's been really interesting um, to move away from that. But I still struggle sometimes because again, with my nutritionist brain, I'm like, you know, for example, I'll talk to people who are completely plant-based and I'm like, totally respect that. Like you get to make your own choices. However, you really need to make sure you think about things like B12 supplementation and you know, getting a full spectrum of essential amino acids. Like there are just certain things that nutritionally my professional brain is like, I need to tell people um, and not from a, like a shaming point of view, but from a point of view, it's like, if you are going to do this, like here's what you do need to know about, for example, nutritional or nutrient deficiencies or, or whatever the case might be. I mean, if you want to be keto, like you got to think about potassium. If you want to be paleo, you need to think about your carb intake just different things like that, um, that, that do come up from kind of a a nutritional science point of view. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So sometimes I have to like, remember that it's up to people to run their own race. And, um, you know, folks always ask me, what is the, what's the most important thing I should change? And I'm like, I don't know. What do you want to, what are you willing to change in your life? That's probably the best place to start. (laughs) What are you, uh, um, since we've poo-pooed on so much paleo stuff up until now, <laughs> like, I, I'm curious, like, what you feel like, because that was, like, a huge chunk of your life, professional life, personal mm-hmm. life. Like, what of that experience 
do you feel like was of a lot of value and like where do you see it evolving into a place where like I'm really glad I did that or experienced that or learned those things um because this is what it gave me and this is what I'm bringing to the future Mm -hmm. yeah for sure you know I think there's this really interesting uh there's a really interesting ability to be able to look at things that didn't quite pan out the way you expected or thought they might, or to have a change of heart about something. I mean, I've been divorced twice. I've been married three times. Like I'm well aware of how, you know, like I've looked back and I'm like, Oh, that was no dating him was a really bad idea, but you did it anyway. And then you got married. Great. Um, you know, and going through those, those painful things, there are, uh, and I'm not saying paleo was necessarily painful, but there, are, it, it is like, what did I learn from this? And trying to have that mindset of how can I use this going forward? How can I use this lesson to help other people? Or how can I use this as perspective to understand people better? Because at the end of the day, <clears throat> doing what I do, it's really about working with people, right? It's not about crunching a nutrition plan like and I don't even do that anymore but you know it's not like oh yeah we're gonna sit down and make a here's your meal plan for next week on yeah you know like this is what we're gonna do and it really does come down to people and and understanding how to work with people and understanding how to interact with people so I would say that I mean I definitely I think paleo was a stepping stone for me to get out of the weight loss obsession, um, all of that stuff. And it, it happened to kind of coincide. Like I, <laughs> I started doing paleo the same year I started doing CrossFit, which I know a bunch of people are like, Oh my God, here, like this is like, you know, a, this is like a joke, right? You know, like three people walk into a bar. Um, <laughs> but, but. I will say, I, again, I think that I, I learned a couple things. Um, you know, when I started lifting weights, I stopped obsessing about making myself smaller as my first priority. And I really started paying attention to what my body could do. Caveat. I really think that that like staying in that place where I'm like, I'm only as good as what I can do is not helpful in the long run. Like, I think where most people, right, they're baby stepping through this process and like just flipping your brain from like, I'm only as valuable as I am skinny or I only am as valuable as I am thinner than I am now to like, I have value, you know, unconditionally, no matter what. I think for a lot of people, and this is kind of where neutrality comes in, a lot of people are like, (laughs) yeah, that's cute, right? That's funny. So for me, finding paleo in a lot of ways and, and finding something like CrossFit or strength training was that stepping stone that allowed me to start distancing myself from the stuff that really wasn't serving me as a, you know, as a person, as somebody who was trying to figure out why I felt crappy every day, mentally and physically, and just being so mean to myself and and talking negatively to myself constantly and really just in a bad spot. So I think seeing those things as potential stepping stones for people is really important. And for me personally, it was really like the next logical step. Um, and then also being able to spot disordered behaviors in and amongst those worlds. 
right? Is to me, because again, I carried a lot of my sort of unhealthy viewpoints into these things, right? Again, it wasn't just a light switch. It was like, I'm going to carry some stuff with me because we all have that baggage. We all have those things that we bring with us. And I think it makes me really adept at spotting it because there are people in, in and amongst the wellness communities, fitness, nutrition, who um, they learn certain things from wherever, blogs, podcasts, coaches that they've worked with. And they're like, but this is good. This is great for me. And I'm like, but is it really? Let's look at that. Mm-hmm. You know, what is it costing you to do that? Like, what is it costing you to get abs? You know, what is it like? Seriously, like, what is, is that worth what it's going to take? And, and that's just one example, but I I do think that having the sensitivity to the disorder behaviors in the wellness world, like this, the wellness space where it's all just like, this is all great for us. I'm like, but is it, but is it really does driving an hour round trip to your gym work for, does it truly work for your lifestyle or like the planet? Like that, I think that's where I (laughs) where I feel most grateful for it Mm -hmm. was that it like, it gave me the perspective around like how my choices and food are tied into like other people and other communities and other cultures and just the planet Mm -hmm. at large. Um, yeah. And I think having those, knowing those things, like I remember it was at one paleo effects actually, I forget who mentioned it, but someone mentioned like Alan Savory, uh, you know about this? Um, um, well, I know who Alan Savory is. Yeah, yeah. His yeah. TED Talk. Someone just like mentioned it and I went to watch it. And that was like super meaningful for me because I felt like it tied my inclination and intuition around like eating well-raised, high-quality meat into this connection of like, wow, that could actually like help the planet. We can like grow grass and sequester carbon. Like that was so cool. Mm-hmm. And that felt real. And that felt sort of clean and whole. Um, but yeah, like connecting all of these things around, you know, like, where are you buying that collagen from? (laughs) And how is it produced? And, um, is that even, even if it's healthy, is it sustainable or regenerative? And anyway, Mm -hmm. I think like that seeing that whole picture is also something we don't do Mm -hmm. enough. For sure. Yeah. I mean, it also, it brought in my perspectives quite a bit in terms of, um, you know, just looking at, looking at the whole person again and, and getting away from the, um, very narrow definition of like, what is healthy? You know, what, what does it mean to be healthy? And there's still a huge part of this industry that's like, weight loss is the most important thing. And I'm like, I want to question that. I want to question that for a lot of different reasons. And I think that having this experience and really being in the community and um, seeing other people who are trying to make sense of it is, is probably the best thing that came out of it because I, again, I feel like I can kind of understand both worlds. And, and I say this quite a bit, like I am not, there's nothing special about me. Like my story is the story of probably hundreds of thousands of people that we've had that, those experiences and trying to get away from this like weight loss at any cost mentality 
Um, and it's really funny because I oftentimes hear criticism from people in the community who are very like, they're very into their macros and they're this and they're that. And they're like, well, I can do it fine. So it's fine. I'm like, great. That's, it's good that it works for you. Does it really work for you? Okay, cool. Um, but that's not everybody's experience. And you talked about that earlier, right? And we're all sort of on this continuum. We're all like somewhere different and people just coming into this need a little bit more nuance, like the nuance and the, the sort of like compassion for coming out of this like really fucked up way of looking at food and movement and into something that's a bit more gentle and respectful and honoring of, of intuition and things like that, they, they get really mad. They're like, you know, we should like, Oh, like it should just be this one way. And I'm like, no, I mean, it's like, I'm glad that you are in that spot, but, or they're like, that's not how it is anymore. And, and I think, okay, because I've got thousands of people here who would love to share their experience of why that's not exactly true. You know, people are like, oh, well, society doesn't pressure you. And I'm like, okay, let's talk to all these people about how they have felt pressured by society. (laughs) You know, I mean, whether it's real or perceived, the pressure, right? Whether the pressure is like, uh, I've internalized that based on things that I've seen and read and experienced or it's been things that were directly told to that person no matter what their interpretation of that thing was you know like um quite often people will share you know things that their coworkers say to them or or whatnot you know like oh you looked so you looked so much better back then or whatever that was i mean yes it is a, what people say is a reflection of often what's going on inside of them that's true but there are real experience. Like people have these experiences. And I think that to just say, no, that's just everybody being too sensitive. And oh, it's just everybody being, you know, a special snowflake or everybody's being so PC or like everybody's being too this or too that. And I'm like, because that is dismissive of all of these people's lived experiences. It's not, you know, it's, um, I wish we could say that it's not really a thing. But I just had a conversation with two women in the UPS store yesterday. One was a woman, she was in her early 60s. And she was like, yeah, my mom, I was a figure skater. And my mom always used to say that my legs were too big. They were too muscular. And I'm still self-conscious about it. You know, like whether the intention of what her mother said was from a place of like wanting to protect her, the daughter or like, who knows, a reflection of her own insecurities and this like inherited, you know, trauma that we pass on and all of these, these things, like it still affected her in that way. And I just, I get really a little bit miffed when I hear people in this space, just very dismissive of like, that's not a real thing. And I'm like, maybe in your experience, it's not, but that's not. That's not everybody's yeah. experience. Yeah. And it's and it's both. I mean, it's like goes back into the nuance. Like I say all the time, like you can accept responsibility without taking the blame for a thing. Like that was a projection of your mom's issues for sure. But it also mm-hmm. actually happened and it also actually hurt and it yeah. also affected you. And so like, obviously we're not going to sit here and just like, I mean, a lot of people do, I think, sit there and sort of mope and complain and not take action. Um, but we can like, by trying to deny, like we should have just been strong enough to where that wouldn't hurt us is super fucked up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
Definitely. Well, and it, it perpetuates those systems, right? When we don't want to talk about it or when we do shut down the conversation, it just, you know, oh, everybody's being too PC or everybody's being too sensitive or everybody's being this or that. And, you know, I want people to feel like they can express their emotions, right? They're frustrated with their coworkers when they say things that are like nasty or they are frustrated with their family or they feel bad about an experience they had at the doctor. Like I really, I, I think feeling those things is really important. Also not staying in those spaces for too long. And if you do find yourself, keep coming back to it, processing it with somebody can be really helpful. But um, I think it's, you do at some point have to have to say, you know, well, what is, what have I learned from this? Hopefully there's something to learn and using whatever that emotion is as fuel sometimes can be really helpful. For sure. Um, so, yeah. Man. All right. Well, I could keep going, but I feel like that's a pretty <laughs> good place to end it. Um, two things, where can people find you? And then if you could recommend uh, one book to everybody listening, mm. what might that be? <laughs> so you can find me at stephgaudreau.com and my last name is g-a-u-d-r-e-a-u if you misspell it there are a few domains that will redirect you <laughs> um and i was you know i was thinking about this the other day somebody asked me if you could you know recommend one book to somebody what would you recommend and i like i really got stumped for an answer because i think it depends on what you're looking for but along these lines you know of, of what we talked about today if you're like okay i want to learn more i really think the book intuitive eating by triboli and resh is um fantastic it's a great read and even if it scares you a little bit which is tends to be one of the reactions when people read it they're like this is really scary i think that there's something really valuable in that so if you're trying to repair this relationship you have with food and movement i think it is a, a pretty solid place to start and it's been around for like 25 years it's not just something that came out this year which trendy. a lot of people yeah. a lot of people think like oh it's so trendy now I'm like well the book's been out for 25 years so yeah awesome well thank you again that was really fun I appreciate yeah. it thanks for having me hey 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 thanks for tuning in and listening to that episode hope you enjoyed it um I am so grateful for Steph and really anyone in the health and wellness space that's willing to have these conversations with me and address the sort of nuance, complex nature of them. I think we need a lot more of that. I think collectively uh, we've done a lot of harm when it comes to these issues and it is my goal to help to fix that um, because there's just so many misunderstandings and we treat people so horribly when it comes to their health. And I really hope that this podcast, um, and by, and these other people that I bring on the podcast, the two Stephs being two of those people, um, can sort of like help create a safe container to deal with these issues in a more complex way. Um, we don't have enough of those people. Um, it's sort of shocking to me that there are still people out there promoting diet culture and the like. Um, we need to drown out those voices. Um, I know for me, this stuff has caused a ton of harm. Um, you know, I think even holistic medicine has just pers uh, replaced conventional medicine. Like, okay, we're not taking pharmaceuticals, but we're 
taking supplements and we're still treating symptoms and it's just really upsetting. Um, we're smarter than that. We're better than that, people. <laughs> I don't want to uh, proliferate this bullshit anymore. So I hope to have more people on like the Stephs um, and talk a lot about mo- uh, a lot more about my own journey as well um, and just really shine a light on the complexities of all of these things. So again, really thankful to Steph, thankful that you guys are tuning in and listening. Um, today, I am going to play you out with a Rilo Kylie song. Um, for those of you that don't know, this was Jenny Lewis's band before she was just Jenny Lewis. And I was so into them maybe 10 years ago, um, and still am. A lot of their songs are just really like profound. Uh, Jenny Lewis is a fascinating human. Um, she's talked a lot about her life. She kind of came from a really crazy family, um, and has been pretty open and vulnerable about that journey. And I love kind of knowing about her life and her experiences and sort of seeing that through her music. The reason I'm going to play this song today, which is called the good that won't come out. Um, it's off the album, the execution of all things. In fact, I played another song from this album on the very first episode of my podcast. Um, and there are a lot of really stellar songs on this album. (laughs) Here is another one. Um, and the reason I chose it is because there are these lyrics in this song that I think about often, um, and have always loved and thought was, um, applicable to today's episode. Um, the lyrics are, I do this thing where I think I'm real sick but I won't go to the doctor to find out about it because they make you still stay real still in a real small space and they chart up your insides and put them on display. They'd see all of it, all of me, all of it, all of the good that won't come out of me, all of the stupid lies I hide behind. It's such a mistake. Anyway, it's awesome. It's a good song. The lyrics are amazing too, so look them up if you care to. Um, and check out the band, Rilo Kylie, and the album, The Execution of All Things. It's good, or at least I think so. Um, again, if you'd like to support the show, please just tell a friend. Go into your iTunes app, click five stars, leave a review, hit subscribe. Let's share this with as many people as possible. Love you guys. Talk to you next week.
all of the 